We are starting a brand new series called The Mass That We Wear. Uh, full disclosure, when I was thinking about the series and what we're going to talk about, um, I had, there's a step there. There's a step there. Um, I'm going to take a little step back. Okay, let's try that again. I had just finished, uh, Michelle and I had just finished talking about trunk or treat. So when I think about mass, I was thinking about Halloween, right? That, that was the mass that come to mind. I was thinking about all the mass I wore as a kid and all this different stuff. And then I, 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 I was talking to Mitch because I'm going to let him take the pulpit one Sunday this month. I want to, you know, we want to hear from him, right? We want to hear what he's got. And I told him what the series was all about. He's like, oh, you mean like we've been wearing masks for the last year and a half? <laughs> oh yeah, right. I uh, was not thinking of that at all. Um, um, yeah, so anyways, yeah, I was not thinking this and I'm not talking about this. I want to get that right out of the gate. This is not going to be any politically charged, me voicing some anti-mask. This is not what that series is. So everyone who is hoping that's what it was, you're going to be very disappointed. Uh, this is going to be something very different. Um, so yeah, we're not talking about this. This is already, there's been enough people on social media talking about this. I don't need to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Um, and we all have our opinions already. So we're going to put this aside, not physically. In th anyways, um, and we're going to talk about the mass that we wear as people, the mass. Anyways, before I wreck the rest of the message, question number one. Did you wear a mask for Halloween? So did you celebrate Halloween? And if you did, what was your favorite mask or what was your favorite costume everyone online you can throw that in the comment section whether you're on facebook or youtube let us know if you were a participant of halloween what was your favorite mask what was your favorite costume and just for audience interaction someone throw out an idea or throw out one of your favorites or not we're all good christians we didn't practice halloween or what like Nothing? <laughs> okay, for everyone online, Pastor Mitch was Spider-Man, five years in a row. That was, so what, you didn't grow for those five years? That you still fit in that costume? Or? Man, I didn't, I never had that problem. I, if I wore one year, it was done. That was, um, my favorite, so this is, you just, just picture this with me, okay? I was in grade six, so I wasn't saved yet. Uh, so this is why I wore a scary costume. Um, I had a full black robe, and the plan was to paint my face green and put eyes all over it, and I was going to be an alien. Fortunately, the eyes didn't stick. So mom and dad found a glow-in-the-dark alien mask. Glow-in-the-dark. I'm dressed in black. Imagine coming at me down the wrong street. There's a floating alien head coming at you. I had a good haul of candy that year because kids would just drop it and run. It was awesome. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, when, I, when we talk about the masks that we wear, one of the better analogies that we have is uh, throughout drama or even Halloween or with their latest phase of our movies, superheroes. Why do we wear masks? We wear masks to conceal our identity. Or, maybe more importantly, we wear masks to convey a different identity, right? 
Spider-Man wears a mask because he doesn't want everyone to know he's Peter Parker. They want everyone to know that he's Spider-Man. And if you didn't know Spider-Man was Peter Parker, I'm sorry. I just wrecked it for you. Um, you need to watch the movies a little bit closer. Um, in drama, we see this in early drama when people would put on plays. They wouldn't actually cast the whole audience. They wouldn't cast all the characters. They cast a few characters or cast a few actors to play lots of characters, and the way that they would switch between character and character is they would go off stage and change their mask. Um, especially in the early parts when they didn't allow ladies to act, they let young boys whose voices hadn't changed yet to put on a mask and pretend to be the ladies for the performance. The mask, and most of the time, as we study all these old dramas, lots of people didn't actually know who the actor was or the actress. There would be actors that had performed in large dramas for years and nobody knew that they were the actor because of the detail and the intricacy and the importance of the mask. <clears throat> and the reality is, is that if we're not careful, we can very easily start to wear masks ourselves. Because often when we wear a metaphorical mask, we are trying to cover something up. We're trying to hide something that we don't want others to see. And whether it's an insecurity or a fear or a, a longing for something more, we see it as a shortcoming. And so instead of just being who we are and being open about the fact that we have this struggle, we have this longing, we put on a mask. And often the mask is an overcompensation of what's actually missing in our lives. And so over the course of October, we're going to look at different characters who embody different masks and more kind of as a learning a lesson from them. What did they do? How did it pan out for them? Also for us to see maybe the masks that we wear, but also to see the masks that others are wearing. And when you see these tendencies and these characteristics, for us to come alongside them and say, you know what, there's a better way. You don't have to wear this mask. You don't have to, to quote an old coaching saying, you don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. You actually can find the value. You actually find what you're missing. Um, and so let me show you where to find it. And so this morning, to kick it all off, we're going to pick on um, a couple. If you've grown up in church, you know this story. If you haven't grown up in church, that's okay. We're going to read the whole story. We're going to unpack it for you. You're going to understand who these people are. But we are in Acts chapter 5. And if you know what's going on in Acts chapter 5, we meet a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. <clears throat> uh, and so I'm just going to start reading, and I'll do all the unpacking background stuff in a bit. So starting in verse 1. <coughs> but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Now we saw earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Acts 2, the community was coming together. They had all things in common. They would sell stuff in order to meet the needs of those who had needs. So this was a trend. And so we're, we meet Ananias and Sapphira, and they are doing what the, rest of the, what the rest of the community is doing. They've had a piece of property, and they sold it. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So first we meet Ananias. And Ananias has come to the apostles, and what has happened is he has sold the property, he's talked to his wife about it, and they've decided to keep some of the money back for themselves. We don't know why, we don't know all the details of what caused this decision, but they have decided to tell the community and tell their leaders that this was the full amount of the house sold. Now, why would they do that? Why would they, like Peter said, it was your house. It was your property. You didn't have to sell it. And after it was sold, you didn't have to give it all to us. So why did you feel the need to lie about it? And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But because of his lie and because of his deception, and Peter calling him out and saying, you're not lying to us. You're not lying to man. You are lying to God. And at those words, he drops. And it says, the commentators say that when the young man arose and carried him out and buried him, um, it wasn't uncommon for the dead to be buried very quickly. But the fact, because Jews didn't believe in embalming, they didn't do all that stuff, they would wrap the body and, and lay it in a tomb. But the fact that the young men rose and did it quickly, because of this, the error, because of the defilement, because of what Ananias has done, they wanted to deal with it extra quickly. They didn't want, just like in the Old Testament, they didn't want the sin to spread throughout the people. And so they took the culprit, they took the guilty, and they made him disappear out of sight, out of mind, as quickly as possible. That's why the young guys did it. They were there, they're like, oh, we need to deal with this, and gone, done. But the story spreads throughout all the community, and their fear comes upon them. Not an unhealthy fear of, like, I'll never go near God again, but this healthy respect of we do not treat God with contempt. We do not take God lightly. We, this is very serious stuff. So, so, so Ananias has died. And now we meet Sapphira. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Um, ladies, if your man disappears for three hours, aren't you a little worried before the three-hour mark? Like, no, everyone's like, ah, he's fine, whatever, he's, he's gone, he's gone, it's good, um, okay, that's well, fine, I, I, now I'm worried, um, <laughs> and I've been gone for three hours, so Sapphira's like, I better check in and see what happened, so he, she shows up, not knowing what had happened, so obviously, when it said that the word spread through the whole community, she was not in the community when it happened, because she doesn't have a clue. She stands before Peter, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. A great fear came upon the whole church, upon all who heard these things. First of all, I want to say, those poor young guys, 
Walk in. Oh, seriously? Okay, come on, boys. Let's do it all over again. Um, <clears throat> so, but Peter gives, gives Sapphira an out, right? He's standing there, and she's like, he's like, take, does this actually what happened? And she's sticking to her guns. Again, she doesn't know what has just happened. She's supporting her husband. They've, con- they've colluded. They've decided that this is what they're doing. This is what the story they're sticking with. And then she follows suit with him. And Peter is, so the question is, is how did Peter find out? We often read this story and we're like, oh, Peter, you know, Holy Spirit came upon him and showed him divinely that they were lying. And that very well could be what happened. He just got that supernatural inspiration. And let's be honest, I wish I got more of that, right? If people were lying to me and Holy Spirit was like, "Uh, they're lying. Oh, okay, good to know. Okay, we're going to deal with that. Um, There's also a chance that somebody in the room, because obviously this was not a private conversation between Peter and Ananias. There's people in the room. Somebody may have known what had happened, right? This is the full amount. Someone's like, mm, no, it's not. I know what happened, and this is actually the amount that they got sold the property for. And so Peter now has to deal with this deception and this lie and this but the big question in all of it is, is why? Why did Ananias and Sapphira have this deep-seated desire, this thought in their mind that they had to keep some of it back? Why did they feel they had to lie about the amount? Where did this thought come from? And often we just say, oh, they're greedy. Right? They're just, they're just greedy, and uh, they're only thinking about themselves. They don't actually want to help anybody. They're just... That's probably not actually the case. We rewind Acts a couple of verses. We read this at the end of chapter 4. It's a repeat of chapter 2, but he dives into it a little bit further. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that they had any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So everyone has basically given up ownership of their stuff. It's not my car, it's our car. We should incorporate that in our church, right? That's not Tim's truck, that's our truck. (laughs) And I'm going to go get it. Uh, Anyways, um, so everything was in common. It was ours, it was... Anyways... And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands and houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So people who were better off, people who had property to sell, were selling it and dropping the proceeds at the apostles' feet, wanting and desiring to meet the needs of everyone in the community. They didn't want to hoard it. They didn't want to hold on to it. Because as we saw in in Jesus' teaching, you can't take it with you anyways. And so they were selling their stuff. They were giving it away, putting the money at the feet of the apostles, saying, you know what to do with it better than I do. Make sure that nobody has any needs, and nobody did. Everyone's needs were met, all of their, everything. They were good. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they, they also talk about Barnabas being the example. And remember at the beginning of chapter 5, it says, but. 
So these men of wealth, these men of affluence, bring their stuff, lay it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas sells some property and with great joy lays it at the apostles' feet. But, but Ananias and Sapphira. And what we can take from the story is all of a sudden there's this pressure. Because Ananias and Sapphira were obviously wealthy. They had extra property. They had a house that they could give. They could donate the proceeds to. They didn't have to hold on to it. They didn't have to. Um, it was just extra. And so they sold it. And because everyone else, because everyone else was giving everything they had, they probably felt this pressure to follow suit. They felt this pressure that because we sold it, we had to give everything. But there's something going on that they... Switch it to the handheld. Test. There we go. They felt some pressure to to tell them, at least tell everyone that they had given everything they had. And they held some back. And they so it was like, oh well, they're greedy. Well, maybe not. Maybe there's something going on that they felt they had to hold it back in a safety or just as, as a safe security blanket. But because of the trend, because they wanted to be a part of this new community that they were a part of, they had to convey the same thing that everyone else had conveyed. We sold we sold it and this was the total amount of what we sold it for. And what we know what we've Oh, question 2. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done something in order to fit in only to wish that you hadn't? I'm pretty sure Ananias and Sapphira wish they hadn't told that lie. As they breathe their last and dropped before the apostles. Has there ever been a time in your life, and if you say no, I don't believe you. Um, the question probably is better asked, how, what is an incident where you so desperately wanted to fit in with a group, you so desperately wanted to be a part of what was going on that you did something that you later regretted? The mask that Ananias and Sapphira are embodying is called the mask of the martyr. And this is what the mask of the martyr is. Typically, it is somebody who is more than happy to tell these stories of how selfless they are, right? And their selfless acts have saved the world, right? The, the town wouldn't survive unless I was serving in this capacity. The, these people would, would not have made it if I hadn't given of myself so sacrificially. And generally, the stories may have an element of truth to them, but they're obviously, they're often over-exaggerated, and what we find with the mask of the martyr is that often people who do this drive the people who are closest to them away because everyone who is closest to them knows exactly what's going on and it is tiring listening to the exaggeration. It's tiring. And Ananias and Sapphira have done this. Right? They exaggerated how much the property had been sold for. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to have purpose. They wanted to find their value and their place in the community. So all the wealthy people are selling all their property, so they sold their property. 
And maybe the scenario, the scenario was that they sold the property and they're like, oh, that was a bad idea. We probably shouldn't have done that. And that would have been fine. They didn't have to do it. And they didn't have to give all of it. But the, the, the lie is the problem, the exaggeration. This is how much it was sold for. Well, actually, no, it wasn't. It was sold for much, it was actually sold for more than this. And the problem with the mask of the martyr is those who wear it normally, this is not probably not the first time Ananias and Sapphira did this. They probably had a habit of, be, of making sure to boast to everyone, look at how sacrificial I've been. Look at how much I've given up. Look at how much time I've given. Look at how much... And the root of the mask of the martyr is validation. These people this couple so desperately wanted to fit in with what the rest of the group was that they, they were looking for their value. They wanted to be an important part of the community, and so everyone else was doing it. I need to do it too, even though maybe it wasn't a great idea. So how do we take the mask off? How do we get rid of this mask of the martyr and stop pretending to be something that we're not in this area? And the reality is, is that nobody, no person, living person, can help you take that mask off. Because the only one, the only one who can take that mask off is the Lord Jesus. Because you have value, whether you feel like you have value or not. You have, you are so valuable that the God of the universe looked down and saw you, not us as a, as a community, but you as an individual, and decided that he would send his son to die on a cross so that you could have a relationship with the God of the universe, the living God who created everything and sustains everything, who continues to move and do miraculous things every day, whether we see it or not. That God loved you so much. While we were still enemies, Paul tells us in Romans, Jesus came and died for you. Nothing that you do, nothing that you did, it's not even who you know gets you your value. You have value because of who God is and how much he loves you, how much he wants to, he's a good father. He wants to bless you. He wants to spoil you. He wants to pour his blessing out on you. And you don't have to do a thing to earn it. Whether you love God back or not, God still loves you. God still lets the rain pour out on you. He still lets the sun shine on you. He still allows air to enter your lungs. He loves you so much more than words can express whether you love him back or not. You have value just because you are one of God's prized creations. You have value because before you were born, God planned every one of your days. Why would he do that for someone who is not valued? And when we get this, when we understand that our value and our purpose and our significance comes from up high, our attitude about serving and our attitude about living and giving changes I don't serve to earn validation. I am validated, and so I serve out of that. I don't love people because I need that affirmation and that stuff to come back. I am loved, and so I am better able to love those around me. 
I am, I'm not trying to earn my place in the community. I already have a place in the community, and so I'm just going to serve and love. And all of a sudden, the mindset changes. I don't have to exaggerate. I don't have to lie about what was going on. I don't have to impress anybody because God has already val- given me the value that, I, that each and every one of us desperately needs. Because at the end of the day, whether we are trying to earn it or not, each of us is looking for that. We're looking to be valued. We're looking to be loved. We're looking to be... We want to be valued. We want to be treasured. We want somebody to just love us for who we are and not have to be something we're not in order to get that love. And the reality, and the truth is, is that God is right there. You don't have to change a thing about you in order for God to love you. But on the flip side of it, God loves you so much. God loves the plan that he has for you, and he knows that you can accomplish great and amazing things in his name. And so he comes alongside you, and he's like, I know I love you right where you are, but I want to give you a blessed and abundant life. I want to make you better. I want to give you gifts that you didn't think you could have. I want to enable you to do the things you didn't think you could do. I'm going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to put thoughts in your brain. I'm going to fill your heart overflowing with love and grace and forgiveness. And all of a sudden, we don't have to put the mask up anymore. Because all the things that we were looking for by exaggerating about our how sacrificial we've been is all gone. Because when we get how much God loves us and how much he adores us, that's all we need. Yeah, we want to have great and healthy relationships with people. Yeah, we want to have that influence on our families and on our kids and our grandkids and in our workplace. And we want to do that, but we don't do it out of a sense of needing it. We do it out of a sense of I'm valued and I see value in you and I want to draw that value out of you now. The same way Jesus did it for me, I want to do it for you. So the mask of the martyr. And this mask is really easy to put up in the church because Jesus set the standard of what it meant to be live a sacrificial life. Right? We as disciples of Jesus are trying to imitate our teacher, trying to imitate our Lord. And so if Jesus was sacrificial, then we're going to be sacrificial. And if we're going to be sacrificial, then that means that's the thing that we got to do to fit in. And so oh, but that person is like going above and beyond all the time and that person's going above and beyond all the time and I want to be at their level so I'm just going to say that I'm going above and beyond all the time. I'm just going to say that I am giving up my time and I'm so tired because of all the amazing things that I'm doing. All of a sudden it's like, mm, God loves me. God loves you. I'm going to serve you because God loves you and I don't care who knows about it. Because I know that God knows about it. And that's the only person that it matters. Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone here who struggles with what we've been talking about this morning. God, I pray for everyone who maybe is looking for value or looking for um, affirmation or looking to belong 
Father, I pray that your spirit would speak so loudly to us to know that we don't have to do anything to earn it. We already belong because you loved us more than we could ever understand. You have blessed us more than maybe we're even aware of. God, you are always there pouring out your spirit on us, pouring out your blessing, pouring out your abundance. And I pray, God, no matter where we're at in our faith walk, no matter where we are in life, I pray pray, God, that at the end of the day, we just quiet ourselves and we remember who, who gives us value, who treasured us first, who affirms us in every situation in life. Father, help us to take off the mask of a martyr and uh, speak life into our hearts today. As we go, bless everyone here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. We've got one question that I was supposed to ask. And it's kind of where I started. Where do you draw your value from? This is the question I want you to ponder this week. In small group, you're going to get it unpacked, as you always do. But where or what do you draw your value from? And I hope the, question, the answer to that question is you, follow, you draw it from the Lord Jesus. And if it's not, then I pray that you, this week you take the time to discover what it means to draw that value from him and him alone.